0: We're going to play a little game. It's called, what do you see? I want you to say aloud either to me or the person beside you, what you see in each picture. Here's the first one. What do you see? Say it aloud. Do you see a duck or do you see a rabbit? Do you see a duck or do you see a rabbit? Okay. Here's the next one. What do you see? Say it aloud. What do you see? Do you see a candlestick? Or do you see two people looking at each other, a candlestick or two people looking at each other? They're both in there. Okay. Here's the next one. This one's a little different. Okay. Now, instead of what do you see, it's more, what's your first instinct when you see this picture, pretend this is your home, the bathroom that you use every single day. What do you see? What do you see in this picture? Do you see a total disaster? Do you see an absolute mess? Or do you see the potential of your brand new bathroom with brand new beautiful tiles and a brand new faucet and brand new flooring? Does this picture stress you out or does this picture excite you? It's interesting how one picture can elicit two opposite responses from two different people. Okay, here's the last one. This next picture went viral in 2015. It's the famous wedding dress. What do you see? Is it a dress that is black and blue or a dress that is white and gold? Is it black and blue or white and gold? Now, I have to admit, I had some pretty sharp arguments with friends and family about this one when it first came out. I honestly thought they were playing a joke on me. They were convinced that this was a dress that was black and blue. And I can only see white and gold. I don't see any black or any blue. I'm not joking. Turns out the designer actually came out and confirmed that it's supposed to be a dress that is, drumroll please, black and blue. So I guess I was wrong. But again, isn't it interesting how two people could look at the exact same images but see different things? You know, one person sees a rabbit, one sees a duck. One person sees a candlestick, one sees two people looking at each other. One sees a disaster, one person sees potential. One person sees black and blue, one sees gold and white. Well, today we're going to dissect the story of two groups of people who looked at the exact same situation, they looked at the exact same challenge, but they saw two completely different outcomes. They looked at the same thing, but each group saw something different, and it caused some serious problems. They saw the same issues, but they had two completely different perspectives on the situation. Now, we're in the middle of a series called In the Wilderness. Now, we're literally in the wilderness filming. How cool is this, right? Now, the Israelite people wandered in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years before they were able to enter the land that God had promised them. That time in the wilderness as they traveled through the unforgiving desert for all these years were incredibly difficult years for them. The Israelites went through many hardships during those wilderness years. Saying that, much of their hardships were caused by their own doing and their own unbelief. And so in this series, we're looking back at those difficult years that the Israelites experienced. And we're going to unpack a number of different lessons that they learned during their wanderings. God had a plan for the nation of Israel. He had just led them out of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. This was the land that God had promised this nation, and this nation was now free, and now they were finally here. The nation of Israel was standing on the edge of the land that God had promised them. They could see it. They could smell it. But then things went very wrong. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 with me. The Lord said to Moses, "'Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders.'" So God told Moses to send some spies into the land and, and go explore the land and, and give a report on, you know, who's occupying the land and get a sense of how good the land is to farm. And the spies were, were to go in and give an account of what they saw. They were to give a, a sort of a scouting report of the land. And that's exactly what they did. Twelve spies went out into the land for 40 days. But the problem was when they came back, there were conflicting reports here's what the majority of the spies said this was the report from 10 out of the 12 spies that were sent out numbers chapter 13 verse 27 they gave this they gave moses this account we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey here's its fruit they had a sample of the fruit for moses But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now those were giant people, literally massive human beings. And they went on, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So the first report came back from the first 10 spies, and this report was incredibly negative. The first 10 spies said, listen, Moses, we checked out the land, and the actual land is great. They showed them the fruit, but we got some serious issues here. There are powerful people who live there, large cities, fortified cities, and there's lots of these cities too. And on top of all that, the cherry on top of it is this. Some of those cities have giants living in them. That was the report from the first 10 spies. But then two men named Caleb and Joshua were the other two spies that were in this scouting party. Caleb and Joshua, interestingly enough, saw the same issue that the first 10 spies saw, but the report was much different. Here's what Caleb said in verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, "We should go up and take the land. Uh, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it." I-, I picture like a William Wallace type of speech here. It's very interesting because all twelve spies saw the same land. They all saw the same fortified cities. They all saw the same giants. However. Caleb and Joshua had a totally different perspective. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who had confidence that they could take possession of the land. They said, yeah, listen, there's fortified cities and there's giants and there's many enemies in the land, but we should go and take possession of it. We can do it. But there was some severe pushback. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with them said this, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Again, remember, those were the giants. And they said this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, And we looked the same to them. The first ten spies felt defeated, saying, Listen, we feel like grasshoppers compared to these people. And you know what? We look like grasshoppers to them as well. They will surely crush us. God brought the nation of Israel to the edge of the land that he promised them. But they lost sight of what they were supposed to do. They took their eyes off of God's leading and God's prompting and they lost their perspective. Why? Why did they lose their perspective? How did this happen? Well, there's a few reasons. First, instead of believing God's promise, the Israelites focused on their problems. Instead of believing God's promise, the Israelites focused on their problems. Now, you might be thinking, what was God's promise here? I don't remember seeing a promise in any of those verses. Well, take a look at chapter 13, verse 1 again. I'm going to read the last part of verse 1, and this time read it very carefully. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, here it is, which I am giving to the Israelites, which I am giving to the Israelites. Underline that in your Bible or your outline if you're following along today. God's promise was this, I will give you the land. God didn't say, go check out the land to see if you can defeat the enemies. No. He didn't say, go size up the other armies and then then let's discuss if we're going to be able to overtake them or not. No. He said, go take a report of the land that I am giving you. But the first ten spies, they forgot the promise that God had given them as they saw what lay ahead in the land, and they spread fear among the people. There are many enemies, they said. There are fortified cities, they said. There are giants there. We look like grasshoppers compared to these people. We can't take the land. Are you kidding me? We will surely be crushed. Their problems looked bigger than God's promises and their insecurities took over. And that shifted their perspective from being strong because God was on their side to being scared of what laid, of what lay ahead. I got a mosquito in front of me. That's, that's in the wilderness for you. (laughs) These people, they lost their perspective because they focused on their problems rather than God's promises. Another reason they lost the perspective is this. Instead of remembering what God had done, the Israelites doubted what they can do. Instead of remembering what God had done, they doubted what they can do. Now remember, it was not very long before this account that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. These Israelites had watched firsthand how God sent plagues over Pharaoh and over the land. These people were the ones who were led by God with a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were the ones who stood on the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing down on them, ready to enslave them again. They were the ones, these were people were the ones who stood and watched Moses as he stood with his staff and he parted the Red Sea. These people were the ones who crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Listen, this was not a story that they heard from their great, great, great crazy uncle. You know those stories that I'm talking about. No, they had experienced all of this firsthand. It happened to them. But instead of remembering what God had done and all that God had saved them from and all the miracles and provision that God had given them, they chose to doubt what they can do. The people said, we can't do this. Who are we? We don't stand a chance against these giants and these great nations. Only a few had the right perspective and the rest forgot what God had done for them in the past as they saw what lay ahead and doubt took over. Those past miracles, they seemed like a, they like a, a distant dream. They forgot all about what God had done, and they chose to doubt, and that shifted their perspective. As you read in chapter 14, and I encourage you to read it on your own even tonight, you'll see that the nation complained after hearing these negative reports from the first 10 spies. They grumbled, they and they complained. They said, God, why did you bring us here? Did, did God, did you do this so that we would die in the hands of these enemies and these giants? So did you do this so that our wives and children would be taken as slaves? They grumbled and they said, we would have been better off staying in Egypt. As they stood on the edge of the promised land, they complained about their situation. And you know what? God was ready to abandon the plan to use the Israelites. He was ready to send a plague to their nation to punish them for their unbelief. He was ready to use another people group to bring about his great plan. But Moses pleaded with God. Moses said, God, listen. I know you've been exceedingly patient already with these Israelite people, but just be gracious one more time. Please, God, use these broken, rebellious people. Don't abandon the plan to use them. Please, God, I'm begging you. And God said to Moses, Okay, I won't abandon the plan, but, but I can't just not do anything about it. Look at chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied to Moses, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valley, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. God's saying, listen, to all those who experienced the miracles in Egypt and in the the desert, to all those who saw my great hand at work, like seriously, you should know better you saw my great miracles, you experienced all the, the amount of times that I saved you, and, and, and now because of your unbelief, because you don't believe and trust me, you will not enter the land. So turn back and wander the desert until this generation has passed away. I mean, what a devastating turn of events. You see, God still used the Israelites, but there were consequences for their actions. There were severe consequences. Remember, they were on the edge of the promised land. They were right there. And instead of boldly going into the land that God had for them, the nation of Israel paid a consequence for their unbelief and lack of trust in God. They paid a consequence for not having the right perspective. Have you ever wondered why the Israelites had to travel in the desert for 40 years? This is it. This event was the turning point. It was because of this generation's unbelief. It's because they had the wrong perspective. They doubted what they can do instead of remembering what God had done. And God did not allow that generation to enter the land. But that's not even the end of what happened here. Listen to what happens next. There's even more craziness that happens. Verse 39. When Moses reported to all the when Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. When Moses told the Israelites that they had to turn back, they mourned bitterly. they were devastated. they couldn't believe what was happening. They couldn't believe God was telling them to turn back. So they took things into their own hands. Verse 40, early the next morning, they set out for the highest point of the hill country saying, now we are ready to go up and take the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. The people said, okay, listen, we disobeyed God, but but now we're ready to go and take the land. Now we believe, now we know we can do it. What is happening here is so interesting. Now all of a sudden the Israelites have Full confidence to take the land. All of a sudden, they take up their arms and they're ready to fight. But Moses says, no, 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 guys. God has not commanded you to go and take the land now. You disobeyed that command. And now you have a consequence. We need to turn around and walk towards the Red Sea, which is the opposite direction, by the way, because we're being punished. But look what they do in verse 44, chapter 14. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Covenant moved from the camp. Now, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence, literally where God's presence dwelt. Which means they made this decision to go and attack the enemy without the blessing of their leader, Moses, as well as without the blessing of God. That's not very wise. Verse 45, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. You see, regardless of the instructions from Moses and God, the Israelites went up and tried to take the land on their own, but they were attacked and they were beaten down. That leads us to the third reason they had the wrong perspective. Instead of obeying God, the Israelites chose to ignore God. Instead of obeying God, the Israelites chose to ignore God. They blatantly ignored God's commands as they proceeded to fight the enemy. They thought, well, we know what's best now. We don't need to walk the opposite direction as as God is suggesting. We can do it. We can defeat the enemy. We'll fix this mistake that we made. But they totally left God out of the decision-making process, and they blatantly disobeyed God, and as a result, they lost the battle. You know, it seems like the Israelite people were always one step behind. You notice that? They seemed always to be out of step with God. God said, go take the land. The Israelites said, "But, but we're scared. Well God said, but look what I've done for you in the past. The Israelites said, Well, we still don't think we can do it. And then the Israelites said, Okay, we're brave now, we can do it. And God said, Well, guys, now it's too late. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Have you ever felt out of step with God? Have you ever felt like you're wandering in the wilderness? I'm not talking about a literal wilderness like this. I'm talking about a time in your life where you feel like the Israelite people. Out of step with God. Like you're wandering. Like you're simply off. Doesn't it seem like when we're out of step with God that our perspective seems way out of line as well? Have you ever noticed that? When you're out of step with God. When you're wandering. When you're in the wilderness of life. It's usually a time where where your worry seems unproportionately big. It's usually a time when your insecurities are abnormally overwhelming. It's usually a time when your doubt is exceedingly abundant. The wilderness is a time when your perspective in life seems off. Have you ever been there before? Are you experiencing a time like that right now? The reality is... Whether you're experiencing a wilderness season right now or not, whether you've lost your perspective right now or not, I guarantee you that you will at some point experience a season like this in your life. And so we need to learn from some of these mistakes that the Israelites made. And there's two critical takeaways that I think we can draw from this story. And they both come at the expense of the Israelite nation. When you have lost your perspective, first, surround yourself with trusted godly people. When you've lost your perspective, surround yourself with trusted godly people. I remember a number of years ago, I went surfing in California, and I'm not very good at surfing, and, and the, the waves weren't very big either a couple feet. And I remember getting up on the board on this wave, and I lost my balance and I fell off. And I remember getting tossed off the board and, and into the water, and the wave kind of came crashing down and, and it, and it kind of swirled me around. And I remember being in the water. And I didn't know which way was up, which way was down. I thought, which way am I even supposed to swim now? I, would, I didn't know where I was. I was all disoriented. Well, when you've lost your perspective, you experience something similar in your life. You're, you're disoriented. A trusted, God-fearing person will help bring stability and truth to your situation. A trusted, godly person will be someone who can talk you off the ledge of a bad decision. A trusted, godly person will be someone who can speak encouragement into your life. Someone who can bring stability into your life. A trusted, godly person is someone who can help you navigate life when you feel disoriented. And actually, it's someone who can save you from a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. The Israelites had Moses, they had Aaron, they had Joshua, they had Caleb, all of whom were trusted, godly people. Joshua and Caleb had the godly perspective when they looked at the land. But the Israelites didn't look at them. They chose to listen to the disobedient spies who spread a bad report. They chose to listen to those spies who forgot God's promises. And as a result, they experienced some serious consequences. So, when you are in the wilderness, when you feel out of step with God, when you feel off in life, you need to surround yourself with trusted godly people people who have the right perspective why well because i guarantee that in this difficult situation your mind is being bombarded with lies i guarantee that if you feel like you're in the wilderness in a wilderness season that your insecurities are at an all time high I guarantee you that if you feel like you're in a wilderness season, you're seeing the difficulties in front of you and you feel like the Israelites did, like a grasshopper. You feel hopeless and helpless. I bet your mind is being bombarded with lies about how you can't do it, how you're not good enough. I guarantee that you have all kinds of doubts about your skill set, about your future, and about your abilities, and about your finances. If you're in a wilderness season, you have an unproportionate amount of lies coming into your mind. And in this difficult season, you're more likely to believe those lies. So, in the disorientation of your wilderness, when your perspective is off, you need to surround yourself with trusted, godly people to simply speak truth into your life and help you get back on track. Second, when you're in the wilderness, when you've lost your perspective, never make a big life decision. Never make a big life decision. Saint Ignatius Loyola was a Spanish priest and theologian who founded the Jesuit order in 1534, and he actually became an expert in spiritual direction. He famously taught on decision-making during times of consolation, which is when things are going well, and desolation, when things are not going as well. A person dwells in a state of consolation when they are moving towards God's active presence in the world. When there's a growing sense of the qualities of the gifts of the the Holy Spirit in your life, you are in consolation. When I feel like I'm growing closer to God and being more Christ-like, I am in consolation. That is a good place to be in. On the other hand, a person who dwells in a state of desolation is when he or she is moving away from God's active presence in the world. Now, we know we're moving in this way when when there's a sense of growth of resentment and ingratitude, selfishness, doubt, fear, and so on in our lives. If my outlook becomes increasingly gloomy and self, self-obsessed, when my perspective is off, I'm in a state of desolation. I'm resisting God and maybe I'm not actively resisting him but I'm being led away from God by other influences. Ignatius rightly taught to never make a big life decision in desolation. When you're in the wilderness of life, when you feel out of step with God, when your perspective is off, never make a big life decision. If you recall the Israelites did actually the opposite. They were resisting God. They were grumbling, complaining, and in the state of desolation. And it was in that state, with this wrong mindset, that they made a big life decision. They decided to go against God's command, ignoring God, and to go and take the land. And they were easily defeated by the enemy. And that decision hurt them. So, never make a big life decision in desolation. You might be thinking to yourself, okay, Lewis, but you know, when I'm in the wilderness, when my perspective is off, when I'm in desolation, like what do I do? How do I get out of this phase in my life? That actually leads me to today's big idea. When you are in a season of desolation, when you are in the wilderness, when you have lost your perspective, pursue the presence of God. When you have lost your perspective, pursue the presence of God. I I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, some of you are thinking, really, Lewis? That is such a Christian answer. Pursue the presence of God, really? (laughs) Are you seriously? Well, when I think about my biggest wilderness season, I'm reminded of what happened in my life in 2010. I had moved out to East Vancouver and planted a church that had ran for almost five years. And I poured my heart and soul into that church. Countless hours and literally blood, sweat, and tears had gone into that church plant. And without getting into all the details, in 2010, we made the very difficult decision to close the doors and close that church down. Let me tell you, those were some very low days for me. Days where I was off days where i was frustrated with the situation frustrated with the people around me and you know what i was frustrated with god i had lost my perspective i'd found myself i'd found myself becoming increasingly angry at god and bitter at the situation i was in a classic state of desolation and you know what what i realized when i look back on that time in my life for me as the weeks and months passed by I naturally veered away from God, not towards Him. I found myself drifting from God, not to God. And that was a slippery slope. My frustration and my bitterness caused this gap between me and God. And I felt like this gap kept widening. And guess what? God wasn't the one who was moving. It was me. I was moving farther away from Him. The more desolate I felt, the farther away from God I felt. And in that difficult time, in that wilderness season, I needed to make a conscious decision to pursue the presence of God in my life. I needed to start by simply prioritizing time with God. To simply inviting trusted godly people in my life, even if I didn't feel like it at the beginning. I needed to prioritize spending time in worship. I needed to prioritize reading his word and praying and being quiet with God. For me, when I lost my perspective, my first step back to spiritual help was to pursue the presence of God. And you know what? The same will be true for you. So if that's you, if you're in a time of desolation, if you're in the wilderness, if you feel like you've lost your perspective, would you pray with me? I'd love to pray with you right now. Just agree with me as I, as I pray for you. God, I lift up everyone right now who feels like they are in the wilderness, who feels like a grasshopper to their situation that they're facing. God, for all those who feel like they're in a state of desolation, moving farther away from you. God, I pray that you would supernaturally come into their lives and draw them close to you. I pray that you would give them a soft heart. God, a a humble heart, a heart that wants to come to you. Use this time to shape them and to draw them close to you. God, I just pray for every person watching today that has never pursued your presence for the first time. For all those people that want to make a decision to follow you right now, I pray that you would continue to be with them. God, I pray that you would shape their life. And I pray that even right now that they would make a decision to follow you. I thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy, even in our time of wilderness. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe it was for the first time today, or, or maybe need, you decided to rededicate your life to Jesus today, the best advice that I can give you is to text the screen, text the number on the screen right now. We have a pastor on the other end. We want to point you in the right direction. You're not signing up to come to Broadway Church or not going to be on our email list or anything like that, but we just want to help you get plugged in and answer any questions that you may have on this incredible decision that you made. Thanks for joining us today.